Okay, if you're all ready to start, then we can start a little bit earlier. Okay, a very good evening, everyone. Welcome back once again. And this week, we are really concluding a mini-series within um, our study of the book of Matthew. For those of you who have been following us um, for the past six weeks, we've actually camped in chapter 3 of Matthew. And we've explored the message of John. We've looked at the baptism of uh, Jesus. And we've drawn implications for ourselves as God's people. Six weeks. And I want to encourage you, if you have missed any of these messages, you can pick it up from SoundCloud, because this will help you understand the context of what we have actually been saying. For example, we started with a message called Prepared and Ready. And I firmly believe that we are really the, um, we are the voice today. You know, John the Baptist was the voice in the wilderness, declaring the coming of the King preparing God's people. Do you believe that we are in the days of Elijah? And we must move in the power and the spirit of Elijah because things are becoming very difficult. We may not experience it firsthand in Singapore, but as we are aware of the things around us, we know we are living in very difficult times. And so you and I, we have a voice and I urge you to use it wisely so that we can awaken the people that they may be prepared and ready. The message return addresses a very top, a difficult topic of repentance. And again, this topic is not easy to talk about because today we are told that you don't really have to bother about this anymore. But I want to encourage you that there is still a need to keep turning and returning back to the Lord. And in our language, we call it an alignment. We have to keep checking our alignment. Next was flame on. And that's really talking about the fire of God. Thankfully, because of Jesus, we don't have to experience the wrath of God. But here we're looking at the refining fire and we're saying, Lord, flame on, you know, bring it on us so that we can have its full work upon us. The next message, stones to sons, I challenged you to really consider that if we are children and sons and daughters of the Father, would we live as the Father would have us live? And not only that, as our faith that we declare in Jesus Christ, faith does not just remain something that we believe only, but it must always tend towards fruitfulness. In a message, Immersion Program, I particularly enjoyed that because I'm now looking at the Holy Spirit with new perspectives that, you know, He, he brings us the, the Kingdom Immersion Program. And we really need to enroll for that over and over again that we might be immersed in the things of the Kingdom that we can live the ways of the Kingdom. Last week's title was quite interesting. Someone came up to me and said, I'm, I'm halfway through, where is Wally? And really, God is looking for His Wally, His Archippus. His eyes search to and fro, amen? And He's looking for one who would stand for Him and He would show Himself strong on behalf of this one person. That's what the Bible says. And so in chapter 3, we have, vis we have visited and dived into some of these themes a little bit more. And I hope you've enjoyed yourself because it's been challenging for me, but 
I've had a good time preparing this. And so I thought to close the series, I was being in a, I, I, I was in a holiday mood. And that's why this picture is there for you. And I want to encourage you and motivate you with these three words, sun, sand, and surf. How many of you are ready for a holiday? Uh, some of you just came back from a resort place, right? Not in uh, Mauritius or the Bahamas. And, and if you look at this, you're thinking of sun, sand, and surf. And I was in a, in a resort. That's why this title came to me. But actually, I misspelled it. <laughs> More accurately, it should be sun, sand, surf. I'm sorry for those of you who are listening to this audio recording, it sounds exactly the same. <laughs> but we're not really looking at a beach per se, it's more like the River Jordan will have to do. We're talking about the son, we're talking about how the father would have sent him, and the son was obviously sent to surf. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 3 verses 16 and 17, I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to use the NIV version tonight. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At a moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So before we get into this evening's session, let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for sending Jesus, your son. And we know, Lord, that in our hearts, we, we know this already, that he was sent to serve all of us. But Lord, tonight, we want to get beyond that. We want to understand what it really means. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, will you teach us? Will you speak to us? Will you provoke us? And always, Lord, we don't want just to have information that comes to our minds. We want to understand how it impacts us, and how it also challenges us to live for you. And so be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This verse, or these two verses, we are very familiar with again. Jesus, after he was baptized, he comes out of the water, and we know that the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and then a voice comes from heaven. And this phrase, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased, that would be the focus of our message tonight. You know, if Jesus had a Facebook page and he posted his own baptism, I think the Heavenly Father would have um, clicked the like button and commented this. This is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. Yeah, and then there's this, this hand that comes up. <laughs> I shared with you before that Matthew 3 is interesting because it starts with a voice. This voice in the wilderness. And it ends also with a voice. A voice that comes from heaven. We know the voice in the wilderness was John the Baptist and John identifies the Messiah but the latter voice would identify, the father identifies the son. John in his ministry would point to Jesus, but it would be the father who would position him firmly in his ministry and place. John introduces the Messiah as he comes. 
But God the Father would install Jesus into His ministry. Many have looked at this one line, and I've heard messages where they have focused a lot on the Father's love and the Father's approval of the Son. And that is not wrong. It is correct. Obviously, the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And in the last message, I said that the Father affirms the Son even before He goes into this ministry. And not only that, as He was on the ministry and even approaching the cross, we hear the voice of the Father again, affirming the Son and showing the Son that He is approving of Him. But I believe as we look into this scripture, there is a lot more that we can learn from it. If we will take some time to understand the Old Testament context, it would enrich our understanding of this verse. And I pray that it will inspire us and even stir us you know, uh, uh, towards even more for Him. Before we get into that, let me share with you this rabbinic technique that was used um, by the rabbis in those days. You know, the rabbis were experts in the scriptures. They would memorize it. They would talk about it. They would exchange notes. They would discuss. They would ask questions. And in their teaching, that they can deliver a greater impact. This is how they would do it. Sometimes they would just uh, speak one part of scripture and they would just stop. So that the audience, when they hear that one phrase if they would know the Torah or they would understand the scripture or the prophetic books, then they would be able to complete it. Okay, if I were to look at you and say, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, what would you say? And all these things shall be added unto you, right? So, you see, once we understand scripture, then the rabbis, for greater impact to involve also his audience and the listeners, he'll say something and they will then join or fill in the rest, or at least in their hearts, they would know what the rabbi was talking about. They would also hint at Scripture. That means they would give certain pictures, and the people who understand Scripture would say, ah, I know you're talking about that, you know. Oh, I remember this in this passage. And it would draw a greater impact upon their hearts and their understanding. But there's also another technique which, which we call the stringing of pearls. You know, pearls are precious things, right? And so they will string pearls together as if it's like a nice a chain or a nice bead, or bead of, of, of pearls and necklace. And they will bring scriptures, different parts of scripture, and put it together and string these pearls together. And so this evening, this is what we're going to do in this message. As we look at this one phrase, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. I believe that the Lord, our Father, Heavenly Father, was also using a rabbinic technique and also to string pearls together. So we will unpack this and we will learn something from that. So let's look at this very first section. This is my son. And for those who understand Scripture or they know their Scriptures, now don't forget when the voice came from heaven, not only the people were there, the religious leaders were also there. So this is a subtle hint to those who are experts of the law, experts in the scripture to say, well, if you know what I'm talking about, this is what it means. This is my son alludes to a verse in Psalm 2, verse 7, where in this psalm it is declared, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. 
today I have begotten you. Now, if you know this psalm, you would know that it is a royal psalm. It is a messianic psalm. It's not any old psalm. In other words, it's talking about the Messiah. And so God the Father, in declaring these words, He was really saying, this is my son. This is the Messiah. If you have time, when you go back, please read Psalm 2. I will give you the context of it very briefly so that this will help you understand it a little bit more. In Psalm 2, it starts with the verses that talk about the nations are raging and they are plotting against God and His anointed, His Messiah. These earthly kings or thrones are plotting against God. And then it goes on and it says, God actually looks at them and God laughs. Why? Because God is thinking in His heart, you can do whatever you want. I'm still in control. I'm sovereign. And no matter what you say, I will establish my king in Zion. And comes the third section where he then declares to the Messiah as his son, or his son as the Messiah, that his son will now establish his kingdom and there will come a time where he will receive the nations as his inheritance. And then the conclusion is quite interesting. He gives an advice or a warning to all nations. While you can submit to this mighty and triumphant king or Messiah, or if not, get ready to suffer the consequences of his wrath. You know, as I was preparing for this and I was reading a psalm once again and looking at the context, it's like, wow, it's as if this psalm is written for our days. That today the nations are coming together. The nations are plotting. The nations are conniving and, and, and planning things and thinking that they can save the world. If you are aware of the one world government theory or the one world religion and one world economy, that's what the world is trying to do. They're trying to come together and finally, there will be someone who is taking a global leadership and he is actually the Antichrist. You see, this is the psalm that's saying, look, the nations are plotting against God and they are plotting also against His anointed one, His Messiah, His Christ. They want to put up there an Antichrist. But God is looking at all these and God is having a good laugh. He's saying, you guys, you can do whatever you want. But I'll tell you one thing. My son, my Christ, will rule the kingdom. Amen? And as he does that, he will establish my kingdom. And it says, one day all the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord. He will receive the nations as his inheritance. And this beautiful warning comes to everyone where we must declare, submit to this Messiah, submit to this kingdom, because it's the good news of the kingdom. It's a good king. Don't buy into something else where you may be deceived and you will be disappointed. And if you do not submit to this Messiah, one day, whether you like it or not, you will have to submit to Him. This is Psalm 2. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, God the Father declares this with just one portion of the statement, this is my Son. He strings the first pearl. 
And so if you are a rabbi, or if you are someone who's learned and understand your Bible, the Hebrew Bible, you would know God is saying, this is a royal son. Not only that, in the New Testament, the apostles and the writers, the authors, also use a quotation of Psalm chapter 2, or Psalm 2, verse 7. Acts chapter 4, verse 25, Peter and John, after they were released from uh, prison and they were told not to preach Jesus, they go back and they were sharing and preaching to the rest of the congregation and then they quote this. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. And right there, early on in the book of Acts, the apostles declared, men can do whatever they want, but Jesus will still be on the throne. Acts chapter 13, verse 33. Paul in the synagogue at Antioch in Pisidia, where he was recounting and preaching and sharing with the Jews there. He was giving an account to say, God has fulfilled this for us. Their children, our fathers, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. And then he affirms it with Psalm 2, verse 7, as it is also written in the second Psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. The writer of Hebrews, where he wants to establish the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that he's not just a human being, but he was before the angels and he's above the angels. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, and it says, For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, he quotes somewhere else, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. A few chapters down, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5, we are told that the son did not glorify himself. He didn't put himself in any position. It says that also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was He who said to Him, You are My Son, today I have begotten you. So the Father Himself has also appointed Jesus as the High Priest. In our last message, we have already established that, that He comes in the order of Melchizedek. And so the Father, in just declaring one line, This is My Son, loaded. It was a declaration to everyone down there. This is Jesus. He is the Son. And He is also the Son of David. You guys are looking for a Davidic Messiah. You are looking for a Davidic kingdom. This is my Son. He is the Messiah. He is the David that you are looking for. And that's only part one. Let's look at the next portion. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Let's look at the back end first. This phrase, with him I am well pleased, is taken from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Where it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. In other words, in this one I am well pleased. Can you see? And so as he declares this last phrase, the people would recognize it. Oh, that sounds familiar. Then they would know it's from 42 verses 1 to 4. And I continue reading. 
I have put my spirit upon him. Now, what just happened when Jesus came out of the water? The Holy Spirit comes upon him. Like a dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And the, the, the Jews understood this very well. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Now again, this is not just any passage. What is being quoted is really the first of four songs that you find in Isaiah, which we have titled as Servant Songs. There are four songs or four hymns in the book of Isaiah that alludes to the servant of the Lord, the one who will come to serve and to establish the kingdom of God. So I've given you the reference down there. Of course, it's easy to find it nowadays. You can always check your own commentaries or you can Google for it. You'll find the servant songs. So this Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 to 4, is the very first song. And how apt it is for that to be the first song and to be the first one also to be used, quoted by the Heavenly Father. It describes His servant. The second song is interesting because in Isaiah 49 verses 1 to 6, it actually says that it is too small for my servant just to restore Israel, right? If you have read this before. But I have given him to be a light to the Gentiles. So God's servant is not only for His people. God's servant will serve to restore His people as well as to reach out to the Gentiles. Then, of course, we have Isaiah 50, verses 4 to 9. And finally, Isaiah 52, 13 to Isaiah 53, verse 12 which I think we are most familiar with, where this is the part about Jesus taking upon Himself our iniquities, stripes, and that He will be broken, and so on. So these are the four servant songs. Now what we need to note also, that just before Isaiah 42, one chapter before, there is actually a reference to Israel as a nation, corporate, as God's servant. In Isaiah 41, verse 8, it says, But you, Israel, you are my servant. But you and I know how Israel fared. Not very well. God's servant in the people of Israel, they had an assignment. They had a mission. But they did not fulfill it. And here from chapter 41, moving into chapter 42, to the first of the servant songs, it moves from a corporate Israel to a person. And so where Israel would fail as a nation, Jesus would come to be that Israel, and He will complete the mission successfully. So with this phrase, with Him I am well pleased, God is announcing and declaring, this is not just my son. This is the servant I'm talking about. If you have been singing these songs, 
if you have been worshiping me through all these, and you're waiting for this servant, no need to wait anymore. He has come. He will be the new Israel. As he is the second David, he will also now be the second Israel. So this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Let's look at the last portion, whom I love. And that one phrase would remind the people of Abraham and Isaac. Because in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 2, we read that God instructed Abraham and he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now we know this story and we know the account that Abraham would bring Isaac to Mount Moriah. He tells his helpers, you guys stay here because the lad and I, we're going yonder to worship. And they go up the mountain and you know that there's no sheep or there's no ram, there's no sacrifice. And so the boy asks the father, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham says, well, God himself will provide. True enough, after, you know, Abraham wants to sacrifice his son after tying him up and about to plunge a knife into the boy. The angel of the Lord appears to him and says, now stop. And then God brings a substitute ram. And so there's the doctrine of substitution that we read from this one passage. And here God is saying, now this is my son whom I love. Now in the same way, Abraham has a son whom he loved and was willing to sacrifice that son. I am also willing to sacrifice my son. But there's a difference now. He will be your substitute. And so this last little portion, God is declaring that He's not just a son. He's not just a servant. What will the servant have to do? The servant actually will have to suffer and be a sacrifice. And because a servant is not just only for Israel, but also for the Gentiles, which means for the rest of the world, He comes as a second Adam to redeem all of humanity. So in one phrase, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is what the Father is declaring to everyone that day by, at the River Jordan. This is my son. I've sent him to serve you to be your sacrifice. Isn't that awesome? And that's why the title is just, I just looked at three words that you know, the Son was sent to serve us as a sacrifice. As we understand the Old Testament context or the way that you know, rabbis would string the pearls together, we see how beautiful this is. Let's go a little bit deeper. And we say, how did the Son please the Father, right? Because it says that, in whom I'm well pleased. And I delight in Him. Because many a time we would have heard this phrase, but Jesus had done nothing yet. No ministry. Not a single miracle. He hadn't gone to the cross. 
And so many would use this to, to justify or to conclude, to say, well, it's enough. He's, he's God's son and that's why he's a son. The father is pleased. And based on that argument or that reasoning, you and I who have become sons and daughters of God, children of God in Jesus Christ, we also don't have to do anything. God will be pleased with us just like that. Have you heard that teaching before? Yeah? It sounds really nice. But let's look at Jesus first. How did the Son please the Father? I would like to suggest He pleased the Father by how He lived. And He would please the Father by how He would live. And He would please the Father by how He would die. Let's not forget that before the River Jordan baptism of Jesus, Jesus lived for 30 years. He was like any other Hebrew boy, any Jew. He would still have to obey his father and obey his mother. He would have to learn the Torah. He would have to obey the law. Amen? He would have to do each and every one of these things to fulfill all righteousness. And I believe he did it. He, he grew up in the entire system and he was not affected by the system or was not institutionalized at all. Man, that's a feat. We, we seem to ignore this. We, we seem to minimize this. Oh, no, nothing. Lah, you know, I mean, Jesus, he did have the Holy Spirit, you see. Hello, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I believe personally that he was guided and led by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit coming upon him was for his ministry. That's a different understanding, different thing. And up until that point, I believe the Father will look at him and say, I am pleased, my son. Because if he would have messed up in those 30 years, he cannot be our sacrifice. He cannot be our Savior. Amen? Next, he would have pleased the Father by how he will live or he would live. Faithfully, in the next three years of ministry, challenges, distractions, opposition, everything was coming against him. And yet he would please the Father by remaining true to what he has been called. And we know his biggest assignment, he had many other sub-assignments, but his one assignment he cannot fail. He had to be upon that cross. And I believe it pleased the Father by how He died. This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. I would summarize this little point here, that Jesus pleased the Father and He delighted the Father with His faithfulness and with His obedience to the Father's ways and the Father's will. I hope we don't miss this big picture down here. And as we look at how Jesus pleased the Father, now let's look at ourselves. I think it's always good to study the example of Christ, understand it from a scriptural point and basis with the right interpretation, and then we can accurately apply it to ourselves. So I have a question to ask you. Can believers displease God? Now, we're all in Christ, right? 
And so like I told you, I've heard it many times. Well, you can never displease God. Because when God looks at you, He doesn't see you. He sees Christ. And because God sees Christ and He's pleased with Christ, so He must be pleased with you. Once again, that sounds very attractive. And with that, I can go to the beach with the sun, the sand, and the surf. I can hang out with you, you can hang out with me, and we can enjoy our cocktail together. I know we are children by the witness of the Holy Spirit and we call Him Abba Father. Amen? But you see, as children of God, we have an example in our big brother. His name is called Jesus. Not only that, there's another big brother who went before us and they're actually called Israel. So we have Jesus to learn from. We also have Israel to learn from. And there's a scripture I want to share here with you that talks about Israel where we should not be learning from or we should be learning something that we should not be learning from. So we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 13. You can read it, but I want to, I've picked out some lines for you here. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth and exhorting them and challenging them. He says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. In other words, don't get snooped. Don't get deceived. I want you to be aware and very aware. He goes on to describe how Israel went through their baptisms. You go read the scripture. They drank from that same rock, the spiritual rock, which is called Christ. In other words, he's saying, look, Israel went through the same experience as you and as I, as believers in Jesus Christ. It's parallel always. Then he goes on to say, but with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. With most of them, God was not well pleased. So can God be displeased with His people? Yes, He can. Now, I know some of you are all ready to pull out the Old Testament card. You say, oh, but that's Old Testament. We are New Testament. We have Jesus now, and everything is okay. After that, he lists all the things that displeased the Lord. And then he says, Now all these things happen to them as examples. Examples for who? For us. And they were written for our admonition. Examples for us. And they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Guys, we are living much closer to the end of the age than they ever were. If anyone has to take heed of all these things, it's us. Don't play play. I do not want you to be unaware. God was displeased with them, and so let's learn from their example because they are written and recorded for our admonition. And so I believe our lives can bring pleasure or displeasure to the Lord. You see, the understanding of us being in Christ, I repeat this many times, is that when we displease the Lord unintentionally per se, perhaps, you know, we, we try our best and we, we just want to please the Lord and we fail. In Christ, we can come boldly into His presence to find grace for help in time of need. Amen? 
You see, that's the, the boldness we have. And that's the boldness we have. And that's the privilege of having the righteousness of Jesus upon us. And we're not working to be more righteous because in Christ it's there. But with this righteousness, let's live to please the Lord. Some of us need to ponder that a little bit more. Unless the Lord brings a revelation, some can be confused by, so which one came first? So for the rest of this time, what I'd like to do is to share with you some ways that, in, from Scripture, how do we please the Lord? This can be a series in itself. So all I'm giving you would be the pointers and a corresponding verse or verses. And this is your homework. That's why next week is a break. <laughs> Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. For do I now persuade men, or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Let's rephrase that. What Paul is really saying is, I'm not here to please other people. My one occupation and my one desire is that I want to please God. Because I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, I live for Him, I speak for Him, I work for Him, and I'm on a mission for Him, I will please no other except my Master and my God. Amen? And the context of Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 really talks about the true gospel, the good news. Don't preach anything else. And sometimes we could uh, compromise in our speech or in our proclamation because we are afraid of offending people. We would rather please them so that they will return for the next service. Or maybe we can have more people then. But here Paul says, no. I will be true to what the Lord has given to me and I'll declare it because I want to please God. So let's start with that, guys. Let's be God-pleasers, amen? How many of you would love to be God-pleasers? Right? If you desire to be that, then join me as we look at some of these pointers. I'll flash them all at once. So in case you want to take notes, guys, you, well, you're fast. You can take notes now. The first point, let's talk about faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So friends, faith is something that pleases our God. Let's look at it from a father and a child point of view. You know, as a father, I understand it well. I would love to be able to speak to my children and say something to them that they will look at me and they say, okay, I believe that, that's cool. That they don't question me. Would that be good? Right? How many of you parents would love that? And they do believe you until they reach a certain age. Yeah? And then suddenly your words don't hold that much weight anymore. Their teachers begin to be a better authority to them. Or their friends have a greater influence over them, right? And now when you say something to them, they say, oh, is it? Are you sure or not? Can you understand? 
our Father loves us to just trust Him. Amen? That whatever He says to us, whatever He promises us, if He says it, He means it, He will do it. Will we take Him at His word? And faith pleases Him. No questions asked. I mean, I wish it was that simple. I ask questions, and you ask questions, and I, I don't think God is saying, thou shall not ask questions. No. But at the end of the day, will we be willing to set aside, even after asking 1,000 questions, put aside the other 9,000, and just say, Lord, I still don't understand, but I trust you. If you say go, I will go. If you say no, then so be it. I, I believe it brings the Father pleasure. And friends, we came into Christianity or in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ by what? By faith. Why do we believe Him for eternity and not trust Him for the present? Hebrews 10.38 Now the just shall live by faith. How many of you here are just? Now the righteous shall live by faith. Are you righteous in Christ? Yes. You see, that's a, this is the bonus I'm trying to tell you. In Christ, we have been made righteous. And because we have been made righteous and we believe that, then live by faith. But God says after that, But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. So let's please the Lord with faith. Let's believe Him. Secondly, obedience. 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 to 22. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Have you heard a message preached based on this passage before? I'll tell you how it goes. It goes like this. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. So friends, no condemnation in your heart, so be confident because in Christ, there's no more condemnation. Amen? Amen. Then go on. Once you understand that, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Full stop. This is how I've heard a message preached. But that's not the, all the scripture. It says, whatever we ask, we receive from Him. It gives you a reason why we receive. Because we keep His commandments. Now, if you fail in the keeping of the commandments, don't let your hearts condemn you because there's no more condemnation. You can come boldly, confidently to the Lord because of Jesus Christ. Can you see how different that is? But we are to keep His commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in His sight. It's obedience. Whatever the Lord demands, whichever His way, whatever He says, be obedient. We are told that Jesus, though He was a son, He still had to learn obedience to the things He suffered. Hebrews chapter 5. If Jesus had to learn obedience, how much more all of us? And I've shared with you already that I believe it was His obedience that pleased the Father true and through. 
You know this, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22? Can you quote this? Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. I've learned something also about myself. I prefer to give sacrifice than to obey. Easier. But the Lord is delighted with obedience more than the sacrifice. So if you want to please the Lord, believe Him, trust Him. But as you trust Him, faith always works out into obedience. See that? And both will bring Him pleasure. Third point is the fear of the Lord. Psalm 147, verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His mercy. And I love this one verse there, where the fear of the Lord is mentioned and immediately His mercy is also mentioned. So you don't go away with the wrong idea that, oh, God is this angry guy, you know, very scary. No. Fear Him. Revere Him. Honor Him. Give Him His rightful place. But should you mess up in that area, should you fall short in that area, you can hope in His mercy. Praise the Lord. This is wonderful news for me. And today, really, I believe along the way we'll have some time even to talk about the fear of the Lord. But do we fear the Lord today? When was the last time we heard a message about the fear of the Lord? And we try to minimize it. We try to rationalize it. We, we try to make it nicer. God doesn't need us to make excuses for Him. He's God. Amen? And He should be in the right place. And if we were to revere Him, revere Him. The Bible, in many instances, when the angel of the Lord would appear or the presence of God would come, it was accompanied the people by trembling. Awesome fear. Trembling. And I think sometimes we don't understand it maybe because we may not have that encounter with Him. His love, of course. His joy, of course. His peace, of course. But you know, God is just so big that I think we need to have a right understanding of that. And if we put the Lord in the right place as He deserves, the Lord has pleasure. Next is a life in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Now look at verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, Paul was writing to Christians in Rome. And so, he is saying, you are going to have this struggle. There are times where you will operate in the flesh. And there are times where you will operate in the Spirit. But he's saying, choose life. Choose the Spirit. 
Because that's the right way. Set your mind on things of the Spirit. Meditate on the spiritual things, on things that are profitable for you. Because if your mind is always set on fleshly things, then you will move in the flesh, and those in the flesh cannot please God. And so we have to ask ourselves, are our minds set on the right things? When you talk to Christians, brothers and sisters in your communities, it's always a good test in the church. What do you all really talk about? Share prizes, COE, Malaysia Ring it, very good now. Which house to buy now? I'm not saying that you cannot have these things, but if you are preoccupied always with these things, then you're always moving in the flesh. Your mind is setting itself on temporal things and not matters of the eternal. And then we wonder why when we come as a church, there's no power. Because we are not focused on the Spirit. Amen? We're not moving life in the Spirit. And later you see in Galatians chapter 5, of course, it tells you the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Next thing is about community. I believe community pleases the Lord. And this is how it's worded in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share. Who do you do good to? Obviously not yourself. How, who do you share with? Not yourself. It must be with someone else. That's community. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. When we do these things, God is pleased. And this is a good reminder for all of us in the church, amen? Because today, the tendency is, I watch out for myself first. And then, when I'm okay already, then let's look after you. But biblically, as we understand, they are moving by a different spirit. And Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, is saying, you know, do good. That's called loving someone, looking out for the welfare of someone. Always look out for the good of someone. Share with this person. If you have, share. Don't worry about yourself because the moment you release this, God's going to give you something else. That's community, and that's how you build community. What you are going to sow, you're going to reap in time anyway. Because God is pleased with such sacrifices. Now, note that word sacrifice. Huh? A sacrifice means it costs you something. Right? A sacrifice means it's something that's dear to you. Maybe you don't really want to let it go. And you say, okay, love, for you, can I? Help me, Lord. Give me the grace to do it. But as you do it, the Lord bestows pleasure upon you. Amen? And God never shortchanges us. He will more than make up for whatever you have given up. Related to that is generosity. And I put two different points because here in Philippians chapter 4, 15 to 19, we have the wonderful story of the Philippians uh, giving to Paul in his time of need. And Paul writes back to the Philippians and in verse 17, he says, Not that I seek the gift... I'm thankful for it, but I'm not seeking that gift. But I'm even more excited than the gift. I am seeking the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, 
And he describes it. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. Related to the point of doing good and sharing. And as the Philippians would have given and it has pleased the Lord, then verse 19 kicks in. And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So I want to advise you and remind you, if you have a fridge magnet or a bumper sticker only with verse 19, can you write verse 18 before it? Right? Because we always pray, right? my God shall supply my need and all that, right? But it comes after something that the Philippians would have done. And it's a promise from God. I live this promise every day, praise the Lord. I'm learning to be generous. You know, I want to be. I struggle with it. I'm sure you do too at times. But each time the Lord has convicted us and we have given, I believe it is a sweet-smelling aroma, well-pleasing to the Lord. And my God reciprocates by supplying our every need. Amen? The next is to have a thankful heart. Psalm 69, 30, 31. I will praise the name of God with a song and I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bull which has horns and hooves. Your thankfulness, your gratitude, your response to the grace that has been lavished upon you. Regardless of the situation, however difficult it might be, if you're able to recognize the Lord's hand upon you and you say, Lord, I thank you, I praise you with the lips, the fruit of my lips, you know, as I sing unto you a sacrifice of praise, it pleases the Lord. God is looking for people who will be thankful, who will praise Him. Do not it will change the entire climate of your home and your office or anywhere you are, if you begin to, to give thanks for everything or in everything. You want to try that? Will you try that for the next two weeks? And then you give me a report when we come back on the 2nd of September to see whether things would have changed in your own heart, in your own home, in your own school, in your own family, in your own marriage even. Husband and wives, thank each other. Give thanks for each other. Sometimes we miss that because we take each other for granted. We forget. Next point is about walking worthy. I think we covered this in one of the messages. But look at this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where Paul says, I pray for all of you so that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And you're filled with all this knowledge for what? Verse 10 that you may walk worthy of the Lord. And as you walk worthy of Him, you will fully please Him. You see? Walk worthy of Him. And fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. When you do all these things by walking worthy, it brings the Father pleasure. Walk worthy. Walk worthy. We were unworthy. We were made worthy. So walk worthy. See, Paul 
it reiterates this over and over again in all his epistles. Walk worthy. What a privilege. What an honor. And I kept this for the last focus and mission. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now, I, I've titled it Focus and Mission. But do you know what would be an alternative? Fulfilling your assignment. I'm talking to our keepers. Akipas in Philemon was called a fellow soldier. You must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier, fellow soldiers, of Jesus Christ. You need to know your assignment. If you know your assignment, you'll be focused on it and you will fulfill it. Because this verse reminds us that no one engaged in a warfare will entangle himself with the affairs of this life. You know what's the problem with many believers? We don't know our assignments, and that's why we are entangled in the affairs of this life. And we use the affairs of this life, Jesus calls it the cares of the world, and we go back to God and we say, you see, God, I would really love this assignment, but you know, I got this to do, I got that to do, I got this to, to get to after, you know, after my retirement, after I make my first million. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says it's the other way around. And you will lose yourself from the affairs of this life so that you can focus on your mission for what reason? That you may please Him who enlisted you. Who enlisted us? I only know of one. He's the commander of the Lord's army. His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? And so if you want to please this commander, you want to please the Father, then be focused in your mission. Fulfill your assignment. This is just a survey. I've given you the verses. I really hope you'll go back to read it, ponder it, so that we can really, you know, by the help of the Holy Spirit, by His grace, be ones who will be found pleasing to the Lord. So as we close, such a waste to use this picture only once. And so I thought it would be good to bring it up again. Since we are looking at sun and the sand and the surf, let's ask ourselves, I don't, think, I don't think we want to be beach bum believers, right? You know what's a beach bum? He's someone who just idles at the beach, sits down there, uh, takes in all the sun, drinks all the coconuts and all the cocktails, uh, looks, looks at all the attractive people going by, waits for the right, con right condition and, and, and you know, maybe hope to catch the surf. Doesn't work, doesn't do anything, probably feed off the parents' bank account. I don't want to be a beach bum believer. I don't want to just take in the sun, the sand, and the surf. I don't want to think that, oh, I'm okay, I'm safe, I'm going to heaven, that's all I need to do, let's build sand castles. This is not my life. This is not what we were saved for, amen? This is not what I'm called to. This is not what you are called to. 
you were called to so much more. I pray that we will look at the example of Jesus Christ, the Son who was sent to serve and to be a sacrifice for us. I want to be a God-pleaser. I want to be a God-pleaser. So help me God by His Holy Spirit according to His grace. Amen? And I'm not striving in this aspect. I want, to, I want you to catch this difference as we close. We are not here to impress God. Pleasing God and impressing God are two different things. God does not require us to jump through hoops, speak tongues for three hours without stop and without having a glass of water. And He says, whoa, I'm impressed. No. God is not impressed with anything because He's God. And so we're not trying to work harder to get into His good books. We're not trying to work harder so we can be saved. We're not trying to work harder so that we can have His favour. No. In Christ... We are right with Him. Amen? In Christ, we are seated next to Him. Right hand. In Christ, we have come into a relationship. Nothing more we can do can add to that. But because I have that, I want to be a God pleaser. I want to please Him. I want to please Him. And I want to please Him. And I pray that one day, when I finally stand before my Lord, God willing, I want to hear those words of pleasure that says, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, who is the son that you sent, the son that you loved, the son in whom you are well pleased. We thank you for Jesus who served us through his death as a sacrifice. And Lord, I know that many of us know that, but I pray, Lord, for a deeper revelation of that love that flowed. That, Lord, as we appropriate this promise, we do not become people who will laze at a beach. Because, Lord, you remind us the days are evil. The end of the age is descending upon us. There is work to be done. And so I thank you, Lord, for every brother and sister here this evening and everyone listening in also. I believe in our hearts, we all desire to please you. But Lord, we also know that we fail many times. And so we ask boldly for grace. We ask boldly for you, Lord, to first forgive us, restore us, and then now, Lord, enable us by your Holy Spirit. And so lead us and teach us and guide us, Lord, that we can also encourage one another, provoke each other, that all of us will stand together to be God-pleasers, for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.